Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where I, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, and my crew of pop culture guests break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad. Thrilled to have with me today Anthony Jeannot, host of the Highbrow Drivel podcast and stand-up comedian. Anthony, welcome to Pop Psych 101. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you reaching out to me. I'm looking for guests. We're starting this new season and, you know, we're, we're excited to be talking about a, a new show today. That's Bojack Horseman. Um, but before we get into that, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on across the country in the U.S. I know you are not based in the U.S., correct? Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in London at the moment. Fantastic. And I know uh, we were chatting a second ago. You uh, Did you grow up in Australia or, or just spend some time there? Yeah, so I, I spent 30 years in Australia, so okay. uh, it's definitely a culture shift from the yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> sunshine and relaxation to uh, the cold and more uptight, but but I'm enjoying it. Good. All right. Well, well, you brought up the cold, and that's sort of what I wanted to, to mention real quick, because, you know, there are people across the country, in the U.S. at least, really struggling with the cold right now, um, especially in Texas. Um there's been power outages and freezes and all these kind of crazy weather that they're not used to. So as a result, you know, people are losing power, losing heat, um, really struggling for lots of different reasons. And I don't know if this is something that you've ever uh, struggled with personally, but I've, I've certainly lost power for, you know, days at a time during hurricane season, oddly enough. But, um, but anytime this happens, it can really, it can really throw things off for people. Yeah, I I had kind of the very opposite experience. When I was younger in Australia, we used to get heat waves that would occasionally have like decent power outages. And it's so cruel because you notice how much you need the power when you've got this extreme weather event that you're trying to get away from and then the, the power's gone. So that's super cruel. And I just think at the moment, I think we all kind of feel a bit with everything going on in the world, like we're carrying a stack of a hundred plates and we've been doing it for ages. And so it just starts to wear you down and, and really take all your strength just to do the day-to-day thing. So anything on top of that is absolutely an injustice. Yeah. I heard someone talking about a scenario, like imagine if you, you know, lose power in your house, you have to make a decision. Do we stay here and stick it out? Do we, um, you know, try to drive somewhere else. But then you have the other, you know, disaster that we're dealing with right now. Well, if I go to someone else's house, am I either bring something to them or could they, you know, give something to me? And it's like, man, that is just too much for one person or, or you know, suffice to say one family to deal with. And so a lot of people are struggling right now. And, and you know, that's why I say, you know, it, it becomes really important, obviously, to take care of those needs, those needs first. You know, in psychology, we talk about uh, Abraham Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs or pyramid of needs. And 
if you don't have those first bases taken care of, you know, shelter, heat, uh, clothing, food, you know, taking care of any of those bigger picture needs is going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think we are at the end of the day, apes that stood up, right? So survival is the base instinct. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've, you know, been through this myself, like I said, when I lost power and you don't, you know, initially there's this kind of like, oh, like this is weird. It's kind of like a, you know, especially if you you have kids, you're trying to make it sort of just like, oh, fun. We'll put candles around and, you know, and just kind of we'll play board games by candlelight or we'll, you know, I don't know, try to make it a weird novelty thing. But it can very quickly go from that to, you know, we don't have enough heat to sleep through the night or we don't have, um, you know, I saw in some places people getting like boil their water warnings because a water plant lost electricity. So um, things get real very quick. So, you know, from from all of us at Pop Psych, you know, don't worry about uh, your various forms of social media or entertainment. Please make sure you're taking care of yourself first. Um, all of that stuff is just still going to be there for you um, as soon as you're safe and, and you know, returned to, again, as much normalcy as one person can have under the circumstances. Right. So, um, so yeah, so hearts go out to Texas and, and frankly, anywhere that's experiencing emergencies right now, because it's not just the U.S., it's... Um, there are worldwide problems that we're all dealing with right now. But um, but yeah, so Anthony, today we're going to be talking about BoJack Horseman. Um, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break uh, for our sponsor. Hey, listeners, Ryan here. No ad this week, but I do have a quick request. We have a lot of exciting episodes planned and even a possible permanent co-host joining the show, but I need your help. I have episodes planned for The Queen's Gambit, Palm Springs, The Undoing, Frozen 2, and more, but I want to know what you want to hear. If there is a show, book, or movie you'd like us to discuss, please reach out via email or social media. You can find us everywhere at poppsych101. We also love it if you'd share your favorite episode on social media with us so we can keep having these fascinating discussions. Thanks, as always, for listening. And now, back to the show. BoJack Horseman is an animated series, actually the first animated series from Netflix, featuring BoJack Horseman, a humanoid horse, which is a fun word to say, uh, lost in a sea of self-loathing and booze, decides it's time for a comeback. Once the star of a 90s sitcom in which he was the adoptive father of three orphaned kids, the show was the hottest thing around, then suddenly was canceled. Now, 18 years later, Bojack wants to regain his dignity. With the aid of a human sidekick and a feline ex-girlfriend who is his agent, he sets out to make it happen. But Hollywood is vastly different from those days, and getting used to stuff like Twitter may take some time. Uh, So Bojack obviously features plenty of references to sex, drugs, and alcohol. Uh, In particular, alcohol, one that we will be talking about today, because I actually wanted to talk about Bojack because of season six. So, um, Anthony, as a fan of the show, would you mind um, maybe setting us up a little bit? You know, I, you know, for people who haven't maybe um, watched all of this show, what's your impression of BoJack as a character, just sort of broadly to set us up? So, I think what 
they've done brilliantly. And I think something that it's one of those weird things because sometimes you watch it and it's it's a brilliant show, but it's not always a fun show, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And so sometimes you watch it and you go, why did they need to make these characters who are so real and so relatable animals? And I think part of it is to actually give you a bit of distance from the realness because Bojack is a character who so often when you see a character like that, he either fits into like an anti-hero where actually as much as he does all this deplorable stuff, you're really actually supposed to root for him because he's kind of, he's the, the the guy sticking it to the man in society. Or alternatively, you're supposed to wag your finger at him and go, oh, no, no, naughty horse, right? <laughs> and what, what I think Bojack does so well is he's a character who you can relate to and you can see um, really relatable struggles in, but you is not endearing enough that you think he's the good guy sort of thing. He really balances that the the realness of that struggle in a way I had I don't think I've seen before or since. Yeah, I mean it, it it's hard to categorize. I mean I've used the word like tragic comedy um because of exactly what you said. It's it I mean I literally as we were preparing for this episode sent you a YouTube clip that was called uh 21 times Bojack Horseman got way too real and they're all clips of like the depths of Bojack's alcoholism or or different conflicts he has with other characters on the show and I think you're absolutely right the something about the animation and the anthropomorphized animal characters you know makes it almost uh, it like takes the sting out of the the depths that we're watching. Like if these were real people, if this was just a straight drama, which is probably what it would feel like if it wasn't animals. I feel like yeah. um, it would be. It would just be a drama. It would just be a sad, hard to watch show. Like um, uh, I'm trying to think of a comparison. Like um, it would be on HBO, and it would just be sad and intense most of the time. Yeah, it'd be it'd be like Marriage Story, but for mental health, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great comparison. Yeah, of another intense uh, sort of drama, but sometimes funny uh, piece of work. Yeah, so it is it is funny that the YouTube link you sent me, um, the top comment on that video, I think, just sums up perfectly everything we're saying, which is this show is the line between tragedy and comedy. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, and. And the thing that, and the reason I picked season six, um, especially episode one, is we find Bojack um, at the end of, and obviously this is throughout the first five seasons in various degrees of his alcohol use, but he is particularly devastated uh, throughout the beginning and end of season five. You know, you, you hear the term hitting rock bottom, and this is sort of what happens for Bojack. Yeah, although as he quite rightfully says at some point, I think in yeah. season six, he says, I, I've given up on thinking rock bottom because I keep finding a lower point every time yes. I think I'm there. He does say that. Um, yeah, but this is, uh, in many ways, the first time we see him, um, you know, other than sort of internally grapple with, you know, who he is and how he fits in and, and all these problems that he experiences. Sort of like he starts to deal with it in therapy, and there are really um, a a number of really poignant moments in season six. But I, I, you know, as a therapist and as a therapist who has worked in a substance abuse facility, you know, 
there was a lot of uh, both uh, lovely and painful moments about watching Bojack in the facility that he was in, which was called pastiches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I just love <laughs> also as a name for a, a facility goes. Yeah. I think what I found super interesting, because as you said, like it, it's six seasons in and leading up to it, everything in you that, like I said, it's kind of hard to know whether you're rooting for him or judging him a lot of the show. Yeah. But everything in you that is rooting for him is is saying, go get help, man. Like, go yes. get help, right? And then here he is. He turns up at this shiny Hollywood, um, like, cliche rock star rehab center. And I, I remember the minute that he did, I went, oh, no, not like this, you know? Like, it was so it was so clear that it, even the good intentions were um, destined to, to play out in the wrong way. Yeah, for sure, because and they, I love the therapy montage of all the different types of therapy that this place offers. So I want to go through them one by one, if that's okay with you, that's because um, some of them are hilarious and some of them are based in reality. And I think it's it's interesting for people... Obviously, if you haven't been in inpatient rehabilitation, whether for substance use or, or mental health, um, it's it's kind of interesting to hear about all the different types of services that people might receive, especially yeah. in a very sort of posh uh, celebrity type of program like the one that Bojack is in. So, um, so in the therapy montage, obviously, first we get group therapy, a very based in reality uh, approach. Any treatment program you go to is going to have group therapy. And over the course of that episode and and I think some later episodes as well, we see Bojack go from like completely checked out to, I don't know, would you say being a leader of the group, being someone who's capable of offering insight to other members? I would say to being over-engaged. Sure. Um, oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it is that kind of thing where like, um, I, I think, the, the rehab facility is one, but th there are lots of kind of uh, programs in life where it's like this is supposed to get you to the next step. <laughs> and as you said, as he becomes the leader of the group, you can see him relishing th the being in the therapy so much that you're like, oh, you're not going to want to give this up. Yeah, for sure. He starts to fill a role within the community, more or less, right? He's he's someone that um, other people start to interact with. They start to even look up to, right? Um, and this is, you know, in my experience in uh, working in a facility, not quite like pastiches, but, you know, you could say one that pastiches might have been loosely, loosely based on. Um, and yeah, the longer someone's in a community like this, um, the obviously the comfort starts to kick in, but also like the community norms start to just become like, oh, well, I know how to talk in this group or I know what uh, platitudes we use to give each other advice. And you start you start to see, you know, Bojack really just kind of settle into something that's comfortable. And to your point, not necessarily comfortable in a good way. Yeah. And I would say, like, I think even within this, this whole him becoming a leader sort of trope, I think the show does a brilliant job just right towards the end of pulling the wool from your eyes and, and showing the, the facade even there because there's that scene right towards the end where he's he's going, ah, right, blah, right, blah, and he's calling out to people who uh, have been there and it's, it's actually they've all left because this is 
this is never supposed to be the place that you become comfortable, right? It's supposed That's to right. be a transient space. Yeah. So, and, and, and there is a time in which he, uh, with his, uh, horse therapist, um, uh, Dr. Champ, where Dr. Champ is essentially trying to get him to be okay with leaving. And he deflects and he, as, as Dr. Champ says, even joking deflection is deflection. Um, and we see this kind of, uh, pattern set in of he's okay, but is he really okay to be back, um, you know, in society? And we see, uh, an example of that, even in this, uh, first episode of season six, where he and another, uh, member of pastiches, uh, sneak out another thing that yes absolutely does happen at at programs like this um and we start to see him you know have flashbacks and he's trying to uh you know stay sober even though they're at a party and it's and this is an example of something that's really hard to watch about this show yeah the inevitability is really tough and again one of the 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 beauties and the curses is how how real it is so i've never i've never been to substance abuse rehab but i have um d- done a like vipassana meditation kind of retreat when i was sure. really struggling with anxiety right and and the whole yeah. idea is you go away and you do all your meditation and you you learn how to handle stress because i was i was getting towards the point of burnout and it is so interesting if I hadn't have had that experience, I may not have had that overwhelming sense of dread watching that kind of first sure. episode. But having done that and been through it, you go, oh, like none of this is real. Like this mm. is helping you here. But what happens day one when all of this is removed and everything that is normal comes flooding back? And I think that that sneaking out episode was a, was a part of the episode. It was a really great thing to, to make sure that if you missed it, um, there's a reminder that actually the real world out there isn't sterile and protected and safe. And, right. and as you said, the tropes aren't the same. You're, you're no longer dealing with people who uh, share your struggle and therefore will validate you for, for for experiencing it. The minute you get out into the real world, yeah. you're just another schmuck and not everybody loves you, which is hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, to this point, so I used to work in a substance abuse facility that actually had a long-term track. And this is a criticism of, of you know, of inpatient treatment facilities. And it had a six-month program um, where you were living there, you know, for four to six months. Um, and, and yes, on the surface, uh, that can have a lot of benefits, especially for people who you know, don't have housing, like we were talking about up front. Like there is a lot of benefit to to that sort of um, rehabilitating um, me just being able to function, right? Um, but at some point, there is this sort of thing that sets in of I can function very well in this environment and how much is that going to translate? So especially when, like we saw with Bo- Bojack, he, you know, immediately is in a party. And this is unfortunately something that's very true for people when they get out of rehab as well you are your 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 sobriety is going to be tested um and if that's not something that you've uh prepared for or you know giving yourself a sense of like how i'm going to handle the situation it can be very traumatic as we sort of see it ends up being with bojack so um yeah so it's it's as you said you kind of know that this is what he needs or something like what he needs but we also get this immediate sense that as good as this stuff is, it might not stick for him long term. So there's there are a lot of concerns. 
Um, but then we go through some of the other uh, the therapy montage. So we see sleep therapy, which again, you know, based in reality, sleep treatment, sleep doctors are a very real thing. And you talk to any therapist, they'll they'll ask you, how are you sleeping? Um, because it's often a good predictor of, um, you know, stability and are you going to have energy? Are you going to be able to focus and all these sorts of things? So, um, you know, so I wonder as a performer, um, because I've, you know, talked with other performers and comedians that, um, that sleep can often be a kind of thing that we take for granted. Otherwise, you know, either because, you know, of the sort of lifestyle adjustments or just, you know, because there's nothing that you have to do at eight o'clock in the morning necessarily. So, um, it's okay to go to sleep at 4 a.m. and sleep till 12 p.m., things like that. Not, not, not judging any comedians who live that lifestyle, <laughs> but that that's something that people can fall into the habit of doing. And I think the thing is, it's, again, particularly like the sad, sad clown trope, very common, um, very cliche, but it, it's out there, right? Oh, yeah. And the cruel thing in comedy in particular is that, so sleep is so important. Um, I've realized in my personal mental health and it's something that if I start to feel a bit shit, my, my first kind of reactions are, okay, am I drinking enough water? Am I sleeping enough? All of this. But as a performer, yeah. the really difficult thing is I might get off stage at 11.30 or at, at Fringe Festival, I might get off stage at 1.30 and yep. then your body is so hopped up on adrenaline. Yep. So how are you going to actually go to sleep? And <laughs> the common thing in 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 sort of the the community will people will say we'll take a sleeping tablet take a benzo you know yeah. um and so it is it is just easy to see how how it becomes uh something that you slip into because it is common and accepted and and to begin with functional yes of course and and that's that's part of the you know what turns into the slippery slope i guess right is you know, what can feel like not a big deal, like, oh, we have this so much energy, let's let's go out for a drink or let's do this or let's do that, can turn into this is what we do every time. And then this is what I need to do to slow myself down or rest or fall asleep. Um, so yeah, so and, and we saw in um in Bojack's case, uh, I'm pretty sure the when the in the therapy montage they see him like vomiting because he's sick and this is obviously a big part of rehab as well is the the physical aspect of you know detoxifying your body so that's that's something that's going to happen in rehab as well um so the next one was hike therapy which as far as i know is not a licensed form of therapy uh, i couldn't find any examples uh out there but i am aware of some programs uh for like adolescents that we in the states call like uh adventure programs which is like a weird way of saying this is a rehab but it's outside mostly <laughs> not your grandpa's rehab yeah exactly right <laughs> we'll take you on rope courses and long grueling hikes and campouts and make you cook your own food and something about that will help you overcome whatever reason that you're here um and similarly, in the in the montage, we see initially Bojack pretty much collapses at the entryway of the 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 hiking path, and then by the end of the montage, he's he's getting to the end and the the mountain vista and overlooking the ocean. And you're like, oh man, if he's able to do that, surely he must be better now. 
<laughs> yeah. And again, it, it's so interesting the way that that is steeped in like good truth. Again, when I'm feeling down, one of the, the first things I'll go to is like, have you, as, as well as sleep and water, like I mentioned before, this list is, I feel like it's um, Monty Python, what have the yes. Romans done for us? Yes. But um, uh, it, after sleep and water is, have I been out in the the like nature in the world and have I walked and have I kept my body moving? Because those things, again, just have, you know, the natural chemical releasing qualities that help you feel better. And and it's it's one of those cruel things that when you're feeling not so great about yourself, you want to lock yourself up and you end up in dark, dingy bars and da da da, da and, and and you have that kind of self-perpetuating cycle. So I can see it's funny because again, watching that you go, I see what you're doing here. But again, the utility of it outside of a program, like I are you doing that when you go home, where's where's your mountain buddy, sure. mountaineering buddies, you know? Yeah, if if you are uh, experiencing that benefit from that intense amount of exercise, um, if that exercise, if that pattern thing is not maintained, um, then everything you gained in that that unique environment is going to be lost to a certain extent. So yeah, um, yeah, it's just, and this is this is just like the repeating pattern, right? So the next is art therapy, which is. Uh, a, a legitimate therapeutic practice. I've worked with art therapists. Um, I've seen art therapy done in uh, rehabilitation facilities. But I will say that there is probably a sentiment uh, either amongst pop culture or sort of how this episode portrayed it that's just like, here, here are some paints and a canvas. Just sort of uh, let your imagination run free. Just sort of let your emotions out on the canvas. Um, and I, it's sort of played for a laugh, but at the same time, there are, uh, beneficial things about trying to unlock your unconscious. It sounds so cliche, but I having experienced <laughs> it myself. It's a real thing. I don't know what your thoughts are about the art therapy piece. So it, uh, that was the one that, again, I've, I've heard about it. I've seen it. I knew it wasn't completely made up, but I've got no first or second hand like my experience of art therapy is movies and quite often movies with eccentric yes. billionaire type characters you know of i've course. never I've, I've never seen the common man be, be kind of referred oh do you know what will fix you sad laborer art therapy <laughs> finger right. paints for everyone you know right. um, so i my so i'm it's, it's something i'm genu genuinely curious about is mm. Is the the methodology or the theory behind why it works that it is um, expressive in a way that people may not feel comfortable? Because I guess the closest thing I've done as 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 sort of a, a mental health exercise is, is the morning pages, which is another quite cliche sure. oh, sort of yeah. thing where where you get up and and the first thing you do is you write out just stream of consciousness and get the whatever's in your head out and, and often you're quite surprised by it is that the same idea with art therapy that by by giving people a blank canvas and some painting you'll be that they'll surprise themselves with what or is it or is it um kind of playing off the the cliche of a tortured artist that like oh you're sad so you must eventually somewhere in there there's got to be good art uh, <laughs> um yeah well we I, I you know i can't say we um the art therapists i've worked with we we've they've tried to focus much less on like quality or of the art creation and much more on 
the expression. So to your point of like, what happens when I create this structure for myself? You know, what comes out of me? Uh, much like morning pages. So yeah, so my, my personal experience with this was actually in undergraduate um, school where we had an opportunity to work with an art therapist. And the structure was very simple. Here's a blank piece of paper. Here's some uh, materials. And they just said, draw or, or paint or color uh, your favorite um, uh, like childhood toy. And you're thinking, okay. And, and at the time, I was very skeptical of art therapy. Like, what are you possibly going to analyze or pull out of me based on this one-page drawing that I complete? And um, I drew a, like a, a picture of uh, Super Mario Brothers, like Mario, like the screen as if you were playing original Mario. Um, yeah. And in front of my Mario was like the huge stack of stairs, of, of building blocks, um, and I'm just like, oh, like this is just the part in the level where he kind of has to go up really high, whatever. And, you know, the art therapist comes around and she's like, oh, well, um, you know, are, are you anticipating a lot of, um, you know, hardship uh, in the near future? And I'm like, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I had no idea that that's what I was doing. Um, and it just like immediately hit home, like, uh-huh. Yep. A lot, a lot of things that I'm, I'm stressed out about or anticipating or whatever, like things are coming up, whether it was exams or who even knows where I was, what I was stressed out about, but there were things. Um, and I was like, wow. Okay. So this is a thing that can happen. Like this is a real thing. And that was, that was enough for me to, to, to give a lot of credence and value to exactly what you said, which is this loose structure, um, where, given the freedom, but also a certain degree of structure of just sort of letting what is inside of you, whether it's the thoughts or feelings or memories come out, something will be revealed. And sometimes it's just like very light stuff like, oh, are you anticipating like hardships coming up? And sometimes it's more, much more intense things. I've worked with play therapists um, who do what they call like sand tray therapy, where they have just like a blank slate of sand and they'll give them various toys and, and more often than not, they'll act out things that are happening in their lives. So there is some real stuff that happens here. Um, I just think, much like yourself, people have a um, sort of a, a very distant uh, conception of what is actually supposed to happen or what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I mean, there is the skeptic in me is also like, to what extent is the pulling that out of somebody a bit Darren Brownie or a bit like NLP? Like, oh sure, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and right. So, and and that obviously is only a jumping off point. So it's not like just me realizing I have these things coming up is is in any way healing in and of itself. But there is something that's like, oh this is something that might be happening on my subconscious or something I might be stressed about, but not letting myself feel. So then that, you know, feeds the bigger work. So, and I think, and in, in, in facilities where I've worked, that's, that's also been the case. It's like, Oh, so what came up in art therapy today? And then it's using that as a jumping off point for larger discussions. So, so yeah, and that's, that's all of this stuff, right? The next one, um, which again, very real is, and they, and they, they said visiting therapy, um, which, in some ways feels like a joke in some ways it's just acknowledging <laughs> the very real thing of you are in a facility without your friends and family it would be nice if they could visit you and of course bojack has no visitors 
Yeah. So another sort of devastating uh, uh, moment of of us watching him struggle in this and and seeing, of course, everyone else in the facility have visitors. There's a lot of isolation that we really feel there. Yeah. And and again, I imagine like kind of back to the the stuff at the top where we were talking about the, the trouble to integrate. I imagine that the the point of visitation therapy is partly just a bit functional, which is you're a bit lonely, you miss your friends and family, we'll give you a little cookie, here you go. And But also partly, I imagine, is to help your friends and family realise that these changes are happening. And so it's not that somebody gets out and their friends and family are like, hey, why don't you want a drink, buddy? Like, I imagine that's supposed to be part of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, um, this is sort of like insider secrets, but, you know, when we had family like come visit, we also want to see, Oh, what are you like when your family's here and what's your family (laughs) like with you here? Because that's information and insight that we might not be getting from you. Um, and it, and it can be incredibly valuable to a therapist or to a treatment team to say, okay, when so-and-so's mom or dad showed up, he like completely went into his shell and like, he didn't hardly talk the whole evening or, like that was the first time we saw John laugh and joke the whole time he's been here. Like that's really useful stuff for us to then reflect back to, you know, a person who's trying to recover. As a side note, I do love that I'm getting all the kind of insider secrets of yeah. <laughs> rehab so that if I ever end up there, I know how to hack my way out. You sure do. These are the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could get out early. I don't know if that would be a good thing or not, but. <laughs> I wonder if that's the marketing strategy to help this podcast explode, like how to get out of rehab. Oh man. Yeah. You want to cut your rehab short by two weeks? Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, I mean, but realistically, um, it's also valuable to see, oh, hey, no one showed up for you, Bojack. Let's talk about that because it's kind of a theme throughout the, the show of, you know, this guy has people around him or animals, I guess, anthropomorphized animals. But he's really on his own. He's really an isolated uh, being in a lot of the struggles that he goes through. Yeah, and I I would say it's potentially the kind of um, the most cliche thing about the whole show is that he's quite clearly a a, a character. And again, it's why it's so relatable because it is it's it's a cliche because it's so common. He's quite clearly a character who craves and loves and knows how to win people's affection, but doesn't feel like he deserves it, right? He's the classic, like, I, I used to have a joke that um, I'm a, a misanthrope, but I've also, um, I'm also super social, which means when I go to a party, I'm so disappointed that I think I'm the best person there because I think everybody sucks, right? Um, And he's quite (laughs) clearly struggling with that where he thinks he's both better and worse than everybody and has no idea how to handle that. And as a result, kind of just pushes them away. He absolutely does. And there's a a great scene later on in the season um, where, and this, so we'll, we'll sidetrack briefly here, but so he develops a relationship with his horse therapist, Dr. Champ, who through uh, interactions, like actually ends up relapsing himself. And there's this whole discourse on the internet as I was doing research for this. Did Bojack cause Dr. Champ's, uh, you know, relapse into alcoholism? Um, And we don't have to 
solve that question right now. But there's a great scene in a bar, uh, of course, where Bojack is finally sort of connecting with the work Dr. Champ was trying to get him to do, which is, you know, recognize these things about himself more than just through the platitudes, more than just through the sort of, yep, I'm, I did my hike this morning. I'm, I'm obviously better. Um, and he sort of says some very kind of deep revealing things like, uh, you know, and, and they even they even go through like, oh, I was taught by my horse parents to hate horses, but I really just hated myself. Um, <laughs> and then he sort of has this moment of like, wait a second, is this therapy? And it's like, yes, there we are. There's there's the the real moment of, you know, Bojack getting what he needed from this place was really uh, uh, grappling with this sort of self-hatred. I mean, it's it feels painful to say that, but I think it's pretty pretty accurate from what we've seen from him. Yeah, and I do think, I've, I've not thought about this at all or what it means, but I do think it's super interesting that it took him being in a bar with the security of talking to somebody who was drunk off their face and clearly lower status than him for him to yeah. actually get to that realization. That's a great point. Um, you know, if, if I was in, you know, psychodynamic mode, I might say that this, um, this uh, setting, this environment, which typically is stressful or traumatic for him in the sense that like, this is where he drinks um, because he was in this environment which is typically stressful for him, but to your point, was actually safer than usual. Like he sort of had access to the space that he needed to kind of draw these conclusions and, and, and access to this insight of what he does, how he acts, and, and how he's gotten there. So it's, it is, it's fascinating. And, and I have to say, I appreciate, you know, uh, the creators of the show in kind of going into a, a pretty intense moment like that obviously we talked about that this show does a lot of that but there's something about that sort of mental health um coverage that that you can i think people can relate to yeah and and i think again it, it is the the absolute uh brilliant thing about the show is that if you have any degree of, of history with mental health, or even, you know what, even if you haven't, but you've had days like that, because we've all had days where we've needed things, like it will bring those out to you. So I think I think it's the sort of show that if I, um, I, I'm, I've been lucky enough that I've never had a, a close friend or family member who didn't get what it's like to have anxiety or whatever. But if I ever did, I'd be like, watch, uh, for me, it'd be a stupid piece of shit, but th th there's so many things that people can um, point to and go, if you want to know what it's like to feel like this, just watch this episode mm. and you'll get it. Yeah, yeah. And that that's so valuable, especially as we talked about with the sort of um, uh, the animated piece of it, uh, the, the animal piece of it. It's like uh, you can watch this sort of like with your guard down, not like, oh, I'm going to go watch a thing that's about anxiety and I'm supposed to make a connection. But it's like, oh, what a fun cartoon. And it's like, oh, my God. I, I wasn't prepared for that, but now I'm feeling all of these things. Oh, it's an it's an absolute sucker punch. It is such yeah. a great misdirection. Yes, yeah. So so we got visiting therapy, and then the one that I couldn't find any efficacy for, but I'm I'm sure we could draw some conclusions is plant therapy. I mean, I guess you know I don't know that much about like bonsai 
things like that, where it's like there's some, I don't know, connection or insight that you're supposed to be drawing as you shape the tree and help feed the tree and all those sorts of things. I just think that's the best joke of the montage is plant therapy. Yeah. And, and do you know why it's a joke that works? Because you can almost imagine it being true, right? It's oh, just, absolutely. it's like a step to the ridiculous that's enough that they're just like, oh my God, yeah, I can imagine them doing that. But like, to be honest, kind of million dollar idea, right? Because you, you, you could easily, you could pluck a stat about the benefit of nature and you could spin a story about, you know, having to care for something other than yourself, but also with low stakes, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, people would go nuts for it. Yeah, they would. And the, I have to say the joke I was expecting um, was, and now I want to go back and rewatch it, but like, was the plant a marijuana plant? Was the plant, um, you know, something that would be easily identifiable as like, oh, um, like that's actually the coca leaf and that it is that could be turned into cocaine or like, um, because that would, that's sort of the level I expect from this show is, oh, what a nice thing. Oh my God. Oh, actually, no, that's don't know. That's not good. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, I, I love your idea and someone out there will, is surely working on it now. Um, because there's something to be said for, uh, you know, uh, taking care of something I've, I've, you know, had people that, uh, it's like, if, if you don't want kids you get a dog if you don't want a dog get a plant um and there's something to be said for taking care of a plant and and if you can't take care of a plant you know uh what are those plants that don't need water that's like all the rage right now the little um succulents succulents yes thank yeah, you so my, if, and if you can't take care of a plant get a succulent there you go my wife and i have killed six okay so they're <laughs> not they're they're not completely uh uh on their own they do need some care well that's good to know then maybe that's maybe that's the level where this comes in is you start advertising succulents as therapy <laughs> plants i'm i'm gonna blame london we get about two hours of sunshine a okay. day i'm sure that's not a fair point yeah. all right well well we'll we'll keep working on that idea but then uh then they go into yoga therapy um which is of course a great joke with all the animals because i'm positive we had a downward facing dog or there was some, there was definitely a pose yeah. that made sense for all the animals to be doing. And of course this, the first part of the montage, like, uh, Bojack was just lying down, which, Hey, uh, sometimes that's part of yoga. Right. And we were talking about hiking, hike therapy before there's something to be said for this sort of mind body connection where you can take care of that stuff as well. Oh, and, and meditation is like, it's, it's funny. Cause it's, the, the cynic in me in my 20s would have made so much fun out of uh, the, the kind of mindfulness meditation movement. But as, as somebody who has experienced the benefit of it, like there is absolutely like you just sit down and you do nothing. And that is like such an easy thing to do for yourself and it will help. <laughs> it is, but it's also uh, difficult it's difficult to do nothing. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 exactly. The, the act of doing it is difficult, but but the the, the barrier to entry is zero. You need yes. a space Great that point. you can sit, right? You, and, and you don't even need that long. You need like five to ten minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, yeah. It's something that, you know, I, and I'll be honest as well, you know, I've been sort of skeptical of, 
meditation and things like that. I think the closest thing is for me is like listening to a podcast, which is sort of feels like a guided meditation sometimes where I'm just, I can just chill in a chair while I eat my cereal in the morning or whatever. And I can kind of tune out everything and just be present with the voices that I'm listening to. Um, you know, but when I, when I ask myself to do nothing, it feels like a lot. And it's just like, well, how much am I going to benefit from that versus, uh, you know, uh, doing something else that needs to be done around the house. But I think that's really the point is that if you can get good at doing nothing, that the other things then become sort of less taxing somehow. Uh, do, do you know what else I think, particularly, again, because I started doing it for anxiety reasons. Sure. And um, the desire to not do nothing is because you don't want to, at some level, you don't want to be alone with the voices in your head. Right? Absolutely. You, you want a distraction. You want um, the the comfort of company, even in the form of a task, right? Yep. But once you get good at it, it's so good to be able to like go out into the world and, you know, you, you're doing your job and the voices in, in your head, the doubts and whatever kick in and you've already done this all before and you've done it when you were fully listening to them. So now with the volume turned down, it's like, please, I heard that. I listened. I'm fine. I'm going about my business. Don't worry about it. You know? Yeah. And, and I think this is actually a great example um, of something that the characters do. So uh, Bojack and Holly Hawk are at this party, right? And Holly Hawk starts having a panic attack um, where she doesn't know anyone. Um, and then their friend, is it Peter? Um, that comes in and teaches her uh, essentially a grounding technique. Yeah. Right? And grounding is is essentially on the same wavelength as as mindfulness and meditation. It's being able to tune out all these things that are happening for you um, that are contributing to anxiety or overthinking or negative thoughts and kind of come into uh, the present. So I thought it would be a useful uh, opportunity for us to share like a really simple um, grounding technique. Um, one of my favorite, and I'd love to get a sense if there are any specific ones that you use as well. Um, but the one that I like is called the five, four, three, two, one technique or the five, four, three, two, one method. If you want to uh, search it on YouTube, essentially it's a sensory, uh, technique where you are trying to tune into your senses in the present environment. So what are five things you can see? And, and we go for detail. We go for noticing things that you didn't, you wouldn't necessarily notice at first, uh, four things you can feel. So like tactile sensations, right? Three things that you can hear two things you can smell, one thing you can taste, and so on and so forth, down through the senses um, until you are totally immersed in your sensory environment. And for people that don't want to use food or taste uh, as a coping skill, I also like one deep cleansing breath. Um, because I think what all of this does is saying, okay, whatever's happening outside of this room or this apartment or this place that you're in, this office, um, let's just focus on what's happening right here, right now. And through doing an exercise like this, you can, you know, really enhance the skill that you're talking about of just being present without judgment and not asking anything else of yourself. Yeah, it, that is such a great technique. I haven't heard of it, but I will definitely be using that. That is really cool. 
Um, my, mine, uh, much less impressive. And, and the first one in particular, you may cut. Um, I, uh, so when I first sort of was go- starting to deal with anxiety and do all the meditation and whatever, um, I, I, I hadn't smoked for 10 years. Like I'd quit for ages and I actually started smoking again as a way in the workplace. Cause that was where like mm. most of my major triggers were the easiest way to get out of the room at regular enough intervals for what I needed and actually have a moment where you just stop and you, to some extent, do like um, controlled breathing was to yep. go for a cigarette, right? Because yep. it, it's got all of the, the marks of, of, of meditation to some extent. You leave the room, you go to a, a space that is more quiet and, and, and has a short time that you know this is the time that you're just doing that. And it's the it's the most conscious you are of your breathing as an as an adult outside of actual breathing exercises. So that was a terrible habit I started, and I've luckily um, kicked that. Um, now what I tend to do is um, just chew gum. I, I'm, I'm a okay. big gum chewer, like just something again that that kind of distraction, something to give me a, a repetitive, monotonous task that I can kind of zone in on while I, I kind of get grounded. Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that and, and certainly will not cut it because I think it is a very real uh, coping skill for a lot of people. And what they found in, in some studies is uh, if you essentially do ex- everything you just said, so you leave your room, you go to the whatever the place is, and instead of smoking an actual cigarette or smoking whatever, you essentially do a simulated smoking. So if you had your pen, let's say, and you did the same sort of inhale that you would if you were smoking, that it has almost all of the benefits that you think you get from smoking um, without most of the downsides. Um, So because everything that you're saying is absolutely true. It's the deep breath. It's the leaving the environment. It's due to just focusing on the one task. And that does a lot for anxiety all by itself, even without nicotine and all the stuff that comes with the cigarette or, or weed or whatever else people would be smoking on their breaks. I am so disproportionately chuffed at myself for <laughs> <laughs> figuring that out. But hey, now you can go forth and, and use that. And while you're on your smoke breaks, you can tell the other smokers, hey, you know, guys, uh, we could just take a, some deep breaths here and probably feel just as good. I'm sure that would yeah. go over so well. Yeah, just handing out pens at the smoke. Yeah, corner. or or uh, toothpicks <laughs> or candy cigarettes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In addition to the therapy plants, of course. Uh, the, the succulents. Succulent. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's uh, you know yoga and mindfulness, and then finally, as we mentioned before, we get Doctor Champ, the horse therapist, um, who reminds Bojack over and over that he's not a therapist; he's a horse therapist, and. Now, I don't know if you know this, Anthony, but um, horse therapy is also a thing. Okay. Um, and, and of course, it's not called horse therapy. We call it equine therapy because it sounds much more professional. Um, and I have actually worked at a facility that had equine therapy. And every time I told someone that we did equine therapy at this facility, you know, you kind of get the look of like, what is that and why and how and is that a waste of time and money and resources and animals? And, you know, I, and it was, I, it was probably the inside joke that gave me the most pleasure because essentially Dr. Champ is saying like, I am a horse therapist. 
in the sense that I'm not an actual therapist, which is just yeah, like, yeah. which is exactly what we refer to the uh, horses uh, when they're doing equine. It's like, these are horse therapists. And because equine therapy, and I'm not an equine therapist, but I'll basically describe my experience from what I've uh, observed, um, is sort of similar to plant therapy in the sense of like, you're going to have a connection with this animal. You and this animal are going to uh, pass through some obstacles. You're going to lead the horse through some obstacles. At first, the horse might be resistant to you. You have to learn to trust each other. And then over time, you get very in sync. You're able to kind of connect and be calm with one another and overcome these obstacles very easily. And uh, having talked to some, you know, uh, clients that I worked with that experienced equine therapy, some of them absolutely loved it. It was their favorite thing at the at the facility. And of course, some people didn't really get it or or weren't into it or were scared of the big horses. Um, but I had to share that with you in the audience because it's a great joke and also a real thing, which is a rare thing to get in, in mental health. It, it, it's It's a great joke. It's one that I didn't I wasn't aware of during the watching, but now, uh, being made aware of it, I just fully appreciate the way it kind of also illust illustrates the um, barriers to some things that there that, that are used as therapy that finances because I imagine horse oh, therapy yeah. ain't cheap. That's and right. for a show that is so real and deals with anthropomorphized uh, animal characters, I can't believe that the horse therapists aren't charging more for their emotional labor. I'm sure that one day that, that'll uh, be something they need to look at. No question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, if you think about it, um, almost like pet therapy, which is another thing that has its uh, sort of ups and downs, right? Where it's like, you know, this animal is a calm animal. You can just be yourself with this animal. They will like let you interact with them. You can pet them. You can take them for walks. You can feed them. They will trust you. And there is value in being able to see yourself with another um, uh, person uh, or creature uh, that can trust you, right? Because a lot of times, you know, with the self-hatred that we talked about with Bojack, just times being able to have an interpersonal relationship with another being is incredibly valuable. So I think that's where some of the theory comes from. Oh, 100%. And it, it's the dogs in particular. It's the thing that makes them such good companions is like, no matter what a schmuck you are in your day, like you could quite literally be, in fact, John Wick is quite literally a movie about a hitman who yep. comes home to this loving dog, right? Because the dog doesn't care. It just wants to see you. And it is undoubtedly an absolute treat to be able to, even just for a moment when you first get home, see yourself through your dog's eyes kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. And to kind of have that unconditional love. And that's, that's in many cases, what the horses and equine therapy that I observed were giving too. it's just like, also the horses, you know, whatever it is, like 500, 700 pounds, like the horse ain't yeah. scared of you, the horse can handle whatever you're coming into the relationship with you. Um, yeah. But yeah, so you know, and I feel like we could talk about the show forever. Um, but I think we're going to wrap it up for today. So what I'd love to get from you is uh, let's just do some ratings. So I typically rate the show or movie on a scale of something to five uh, based on sort of how accurate the depiction of mental health issues is. 
And then I usually have my guests rated on a scale of enjoyment or entertainment. But we've talked about so many different things today. You can pick whatever uh, scale or aspect of the show that you like. So I'll go first here. Um, I will say, um, let's see, out of five succulents um, <laughs> in the, on a mental health scale, I'm gonna. It's, I'm just tempting to say five, but just because I don't want the audience to, um, you know, it's it's tough with comedy because some of the aspects of mental health are played as jokes, right? So I'll just say like four point five succulents out of five for BoJack <laughs> Horseman. And I will say for pure entertainment value, uh, controversial rating, I'm gonna give it. Three out of five therapy horses. Fantastic. And and I think that's a really fair rating because we are acknowledging that it is hard to watch sometimes. And it's 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 not a go-to show for me because you know, some, when I'm looking for like light and something entertaining, it's not necessarily the thing about the really depressed horse that's in therapy. But that being said, it's a very entertaining show. And it's the kind of show that often, even when you do enjoy it, you enjoy it through gritted teeth, right? Oh, you're like, yeah. I hate the fact that you're making me enjoy watching this. Yes. <laughs> well said. Um, so, Anthony, I'd love to have you um, plug your show. Where can people find your show um, and any other work that you're doing? Cool. So I have a stand-up comedy show on Spotify, aptly named Anthony Janot's stand-up comedy album. And then on Highbrow Dribble, I host a podcast. I invite a comedy mate and an academic. We we dive into different topics each week. So it's, you know, astronomy, the orgasm gap, whatever that academic focuses on, we chat for them. Fantastic. So definitely check it out if you have a chance. Highbrow Drivel. Anthony Janot, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so much fun talking about BoJack Horseman. All right. Well, we'll be happy to have you back anytime. Cheers. 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 